Take two. <laughs> cool. Okay. All right, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of Unscrewed, a podcast that Truman and I do every couple of weeks to talk about what's going on in the world as two red-pilled lefties that think we're pretty much going to hell in a handbasket. But hey, why don't we try to have some productive conversations about maybe how we can uh, turn this around. I'm Carlin Borisenko. You can find me on YouTube under my very creatively named channel, Carlin Borisenko. And you can also find me on locals at kb.locals.com. Yeah, my name is Truman. I do the Return to Reason podcast. You know, uh, returntoreason.locals.com is the best place to find me. YouTube, Return to Reason, Twitter at my mundane mind. It used to be mundane in the membrane, but uh, then I changed it to my mundane mind. Anyway, but yeah. Mundane in the membrane is like really long too. Yeah, but it's it's a play on the words, you know, the song like like insane I, in the membrane. I you know, know. The, I remember. House of I'm Pain. old. Yeah, I'm old. Yeah. Anyway, but so, yeah, so go well, ahead. Well, I was going to no, say no, like, like so so you know one of the things i've been thinking a lot about truman is i really think that um that the 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 war we're fighting in terms of the culture war one of the predominant weapons is going to be language and that's what that's one of the things that's going to make it so difficult to fight because i think that you know we're seeing people on multiple different sides now try to weaponize language to use it to their advantage obviously like the left does this all the time they've done this for decades they change the meanings of words i have a big old 1940s dictionary sitting on the floor in my office that's like about yay thick just to be able to have some sort of reference from before the civil rights movement <laughs> Nice. For like so so I mean like the left does this all the time in terms of changing words. I um along with a journalist put out an article last week basically about how there are movements that you know they're not really on the right but they're more like pro white movements or white positivity movements that are doing the same thing. They're trying to mess with language to insert it into the culture. I think that what we're starting to see is a, is a literal battle of words and that's terrifying because it's going to leave people in a state of constant confusion when you're when the definition of words changes depending on what context they're in or who you're talking to or you know who has what political agenda that's going to create an extremely confused populace and it's incredibly hard to say no 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 here's the definition especially when they're literally changing the dictionary definition of words yeah so that's what i'm thinking um, about so there's a few things there one is I think that article is incredible. And you, you did a live stream talking about, or actually multiple, but there's one really long one where you impact a lot of those things. I think we should be sure to put links so people can find those. Um, and you and Kieran and White, I believe that's, that's his name, White. right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Kieran, yeah, yeah, not Kieran. Um, Kieran, and so you guys have done some really amazing stuff. So people should check that out um, it, because no one is talking about this stuff and people should at least be aware of what some of these movements are that you're talking about. And you guys have documented Thank you. Um, pretty thoroughly. And so, so the language thing, I mean, you may have heard me mention a book called road to serfdom before, and <laughs> there's a, there's actually an entire like section in this book that I brought up multiple times about how Hayek wrote about the Nazis did this. And he saw the progressives and the socialists doing it in great Britain. Uh, where they don't invent new words, they just hijack the definitions of old words because then they don't have to convince you of anything other than they're like, you've always believed this. You've always believed this. He uses words like equality and justice and so on and so forth. Um, and actually, I think we talked about this in a very uh, early, maybe the second or third, I think it was the third uh, um, 
Ember podcast we did where uh, I brought up that as this happens, we're going to see different regions have entire different dictionaries. It's not going to be, yeah. um, do you remember this? It's I not going to be yeah. dialects anymore. It's going to be, if you have a kid, you know, and I've brought this up before, but it's, I just think it's a thought experiment that people increasingly need to engage with. If you have a kid who grows up in rural Wyoming and let's say they're eight now or eight or seven or something like that. And you fast forward 10 years and assume that the country still exists and is still like whole. And you put that kid in a room with a kid who grew up in Portland or in San Francisco or, or even a like Colorado or like Denver, mm -hmm. but in a very progressive, you know, Denver's pretty blue um, and pretty nuts. And, and or just in a household where like they've been forced to wear a mask since they were in elementary school and all these other things like those two kids, if you put them in a room, they're not going to understand each other in a way that is actually com like completely impossible to do anything like they will. And so you're now what you're doing is we have a system that it assumes that these two can participate in shared governance when they can't even agree on the fundamental premises of reality what they've been taught about how reality works is going to be fundamentally different. What compassion means is going to be fundamentally different. How science works is going to be fundamentally different, you know? And so like, that's a huge problem, but to your point, it does go back to language and as a language issue and not just language, but the concepts underneath language, right? Like why does the word racist, why is that a powerful word? Well, because there's a concept underneath of it that is terrifying. No one wants to be called that. No one wants to, to have participated in something like that. And so these words are incredibly powerful. And so it really is in a lot of ways, it's like, who is the person who gets to set the definition of these words that becomes the, you know, the accepted thing. And, and that actually will dovetail nicely into what I'd like to talk about here in a little bit. But, um, and, and so whoever, whoever's definition becomes ascendant, then now they, that their definition is the one that gets to be weaponized. Um, and so I, I don't think you're wrong about the, the way the words thing has, is working. So, um, let, let me ask you this. What do you see as, um, what's your, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, even when you think about what you can even do about that? I don't know. I mean, and this, this is, you know, what makes the problem so incredibly difficult, right? So because, you know, to, to hearken back to that article that Kieran and I worked on together, just, you know, if people haven't read it and, you know, I'll make sure it's linked in the description for people who want to, um, you know, yep, essentially same. the whole, the whole idea is that like, essentially what happened is like, I got attacked by a white identitarian horde over the summer and it was the most surreal experience of my life. But what it, what would happen in the course of that experience is I figured out that they were trying to insert this anti-white, like specifically the term anti-white into the cultural zeitgeist because they thought that that would help them advance their white positivity movement. Um, yep. Now, the problem with that is that the term anti-white has now been used all over conservative media. They've actually lifted up people from this movement. And specifically, they, they've featured them on like Lauren Ingram and Tucker Carlson and Newsmax. They're using this anti-white terminology all over the place. And so now, even in the course of, frankly, what I think is a really distressing part of what's going on in culture, we have a white positivity movement from someone who's been in the <clears throat> white sympathetic sphere since 1994. They're using one definition of the terminology of anti-white. We now have conservative media 
lifting up people from that movement, but they don't understand the definition that that movement is using of the term anti-white and they're using it as a completely different definition. And it's like, you have all the people that are kind of like watching this and they're taking the conservative definition of it while not realizing where this language is coming from or why they're working so hard on inserting it into the conversation. And it's almost like by the time you get to that audience, all they know is what they've heard from their influencers. And it makes it really, really, it's, it's an incredible task to even try to get them to listen. Like, no, these words don't mean what you think they do. And I think that, you know, I've kind of seen this happening in the anti-CRT movement too, where there's been, um, and I'm just going to kind of talk here and then we can kind of sort out what to do about it. Um, I'm taking notes. They, there. I've seen an influx in these anti because um all of a sudden like you and I have known about you know critical race theory for like a couple of years now at least right we've been yep. kind of talking about this for Easily. a while, but the fact is that most people who know about it now have not known about it as long as we do or we have and they haven't been thinking about it like we have and they they're just kind of getting introduced to the topic. So what I'm seeing in some of these like anti CRT groups on Facebook is you got this influx of like people who are brand new to this topic, who are trying to understand it, who, and it is an incredibly complex topic. It's not something that's like easy to distill down into like a couple of words or sentences. So you, even within like the anti-CRT movement, you have all these people running around who are using different, different definitions for different words and everyone is confused about what is going on. And there's no kind of like central leader. There's not, you know, it's not James Lindsay. It's not Chris Rufo. There's, there's no kind of like central leader trying to bring people together to say, here is what this means and to coordinate all these people. And so now we have even, even with something positive, like, like the anti-CRT movement, which I do believe is a positive thing, we have people running around in all sorts of different directions purely because <clears throat> there's no common understanding of what it actually is that we're tackling. And so I guess maybe my first answer to like, what do we do about it is, <laughs> There, I mean, I, I hate, like, I, I'm actually a really big fan of, like, decentralizing movements. I don't think there should be one grand and glorious leader over everything. But at some point, we have to come together and say, what do we actually mean by these things? And we need to get on some sort of, like, level playing field of what the basic definitions are. And I don't know how we do that, given how our media is consumed today. Am I wrong to say that? Is that, is that like an overly simplistic, it, it feels like it's an overly simplistic solution. Like, like, oh, we just need, all need to come together to agree on the, the meaning of words. I thought that, that was what the dictionary was for. Silly me. <laughs> um, I don't think, well, I'll just tell you what my, my thoughts are. What I wrote is you're describing a problem that we already have and that we've been dealing with for years. You're just you're, what you just described was a Mott and Bailey issue that we've mm -hmm. been dealing with on the left with words like equality or justice or racism right. or any of those things. And so it's the same it's the same problem just uh, with uh, with just different terminology and different group. But I don't think it's different in the, the solution because you have to like. So I think there's a macro and a micro on a on a macro level. There's nothing we can really do about that. We can't control what Tucker Carlson says or anything right. like that. Um, but I do Sadly. think it's the same. It's the same solution where he um, or not he, but we on a micro level, we can ask, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. We can ask, you know, what's what's your I mean, so I had this conversation with my brother yesterday. 
where he says, um, I can't, I can't remember what the word was. I think it might've been something like it was, it was a uh, exploit, uh, exploit or exploitative. And I said, what's your working definition of, of exploitative or to exploit someone or something. And, and he immediately understood Well, at first he's like, well, and I said, well, we can't have a conversation about this if we're not using the same definition. So I just need to know like what you mean by that. So I think on a micro level, it's the exact same thing. It's, it's the same answer as we, whenever someone says equity, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what you think that word means. Where did you get that understanding of that? Did you assume that? Or were you informed of that? Okay. Well, what's that concept mean in practice? What are the consequences or the implications of using that concept in that way? Um, and I think that the micro is what ends up impacting the macro. I mean, you just described a process of how some people were able to hijack some words on the right, which is the same thing we've seen on the left for decades, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't think the answer is is any different. It's just, it's informing people. And in whatever context we have to do that, you have a huge platform. I have a not huge platform, but either way, we have people that are listening to us and we can inform them. And then equip them with the skills, the dialectic skills, um, and the, the relational skills to then convey that knowledge. This is a, I mean, this is a thing that I like have been in college. This is what I did. That's what discipleship is, just mm-hmm. in the Christian context. It's you're teaching someone a thing and then equipping them with the skills and the vernacular and everything to go and repeat the process. That's all it is. That's what evangelism is. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think if we can disentangle like any like connotation someone has from those terms and like a religious thing and just say like at a base level, anyone who has this information, they have a responsibility to then like repeat the process that was done with them by being that person for other people. And, and having those conversations when it is appropriate, when it makes sense, when it comes up. So then those people in those Facebook groups or in like those school board meetings or whatever, which I'm increasingly think are irre- irrelevant, you know, and I, th- I know that you believe the same. Um, uh, and so I think they make people feel good, but I don't think they do anything. Sure. Well, they have utility, I think, in terms they have utility in the same way that a pep rally, a pep rally does exactly. not have a direct yeah. measurable impact on the football game. Mm-hmm. but it probably does. We just can't measure it. Like it probably has an impact on the game, but we can't measure it. And so you would say in a, in, in the world we have, I would rather us have pep rallies and not have pep rallies. Mm-hmm. And so in the world that we have, I would, I would rather us have viral videos of people of everyday citizens showing every day, showing other everyday citizens that they can do this too. So I'd rather have that than not have that. Um, but anyway, does that make sense? So that's my only thought on that is that it's it's the same problem that we have been dealing with for years. Um, and actually, it's like, I don't think it's it's gotten away from us in the same way that the um, like the word like the word equality or racism has. Mm-hmm. And so and 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 we have the advantage of already having an audience that is immediately going to be the ones who are who are going to be able to implement this like that. Like you have to convert progressives who can then you could consider it so there's indigenous i think i mentioned this before but i'll 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 leave it here um whenever people are conceptualizing overseas evangelism Mm -hmm. there it's what they've found historically is they used to just send some white dude or white family there and 
to try and start a church or do something. And it's not super effective. They'll get a few, but it's, they become the linchpin of the organization. And, and it's, it, it's does not sustain very well. There are some great historical examples. Adnarm Judson is one um, in Burma, but, but anyway, um, the point is, is that you, you want to have indigenous converts. You want to have people who speak the language, understand the culture and that. And so then whoever the initial evangelist is or missionary is their, their goal is to invest heavily in a core group of indigenous converts and emphasize, this is your job. Now you have to, you're the primary people here who are going to reach these people. So with the progressives, okay. So with the progressives, uh, because they have more buy-in with the people they're going to talk to Mm -hmm. than some outsider, they're an insider. So with the progressives, we have to have like people who are progressive converts. That's why I think people who are traditionally from the left are the most effective in the space because they understand the culture. I've said this about Portland, even it's like, I think that the same people should probably leave Portland and, you know, maybe leave behind a few people, you know, who can equip, but in this digital space, we don't really need that. It's going to be native Portlanders waking up to what's going on and sharing that with others that that's going to save that place. And so I think the same people there, uh, you know, for the most part should probably get out, but same with California, uh, for the most part, depending on what region you're in. But the point is, is that we are someone like you or I is a few layers removed from the people that we're trying to reach the most Mm -hmm. in terms of like those lefties who are still, you know, completely blue pilled in the, you know, blue and on, you know, or whatever. Whereas with this other issue, what you're with the anti-white stuff, we already are immediately plugged in. They do consider the people who we need to talk to probably do for the most part, consider us, you know, at least not an enemy. Right. Well, they like they might not a giant pain in the ass, but I'm OK. With I that. know a lot of them do, but you still have a huge audience of those people is my point. Yeah. And so <laughs> we have direct exposure to those people in a way that yeah. we don't with the progressives who we have to hit with. Equity does not mean what you think it means, or at least in practice, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, and so I think it's actually not as intractable as a problem as it as it sounds like it is a problem, but it's the same problem we've been dealing with. And fortunately, I think we actually are a few steps ahead of where we are on that language war than we are on the one against the left. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I like, um, I, I hadn't thought about like the correlation between evangelism and this particular problem. And so I really like comparing the two because I think that that makes a lot of sense. And it, it also shows that, you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, even though I do have like a large platform, sometimes it feels like I'm speaking to like an extremely small group. And I'm like, this is impossible. (laughs) Like it's it's never going to, it's never going to go anywhere. But if you equate it to evangelism, that makes more sense. And is like proof that even if you start with like the small platform, it's like, you know, the tell a friend and then they tell two friends and then they tell two friends and then it starts to get easier. I think where I become concerned though, is like, well, I mean, we've talked about this many times on this on this show. It's like, um, you know, we think that the people that are best equipped to fight back against this are people who've been woken up from the left. And I do still think that's our best bet. I have gotten extraordinarily blackpilled on conservatives. I was already sure. blackpilled on conservatives to begin with. And now I'm just like even more no and kidding. more and more and more and more blackpilled on like yep. they're just not doing anything. And it's like, like, if you can't even get them to have the most basic level of conversation under the cover of darkness, with the door closed, with the shade drawn, with their neighbor to say, are you okay with what's going on in the world? Because we're not okay with it. Like, if we can't even get them to do that, it's like, okay, lost cause. But I guess, you know, I mean, that kind of, that kind of brings it back to like, would you say, 
well, would you agree with me when I say that our main goal at this point has got to be to wake up more people on the left? And if so, what are some of the things that you think are like the best ways that we can go about that? I certainly have thoughts on this too, but I want to hear what you think. I don't know if it's the main goal. Okay. I think the main goal, and this goes into what we were talking about before we started recording. I think I'm shifting to the main goal needs to be something that can't be about a certain group of people. I don't think it can be. Tell me more. Um, And so, well, I mean, like I said said before we started, the stuff I've just I've been thinking about out loud and thinking about while freaking spending, you know, twelve hours a day spraying, you know, paint paint hundreds of gallons of paint in this giant rodeo arena. But um, yeah, I think that it's, it's limiting. um, And there is utility to trying to reach certain people. Um, But it, I think it, it's, it's a, uh, um, it's a thing where you're trying to, it's an, it's a marketing campaign. It's advertising. Yeah. And I think in some cases those are successful. I'm not so sure that they're successful here. Um, so it, just an example. So I'll just tell you, like, I'm, gonna, I'm about to just, just free, free flow thought. Um, but so I was thinking about, I was listening to, so James Lindsay and Benjamin Boyce had a conversation a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. And uh, James was talking about how he's been studying the enlightenment a lot. And, 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 and I can tell that he is, uh, he understands the cathedral and the nature of exactly kind of what we're up against. And um, I messaged him and I said, I think you're on the right track with the enlightenment, but you need to go back another couple hundred years and look at the reformation. Mm. So the, the Protestant reformation was really fascinating. And um, just to, for people who don't really know. So the way that the, the Catholic church operated for, I mean, you know, the Holy Roman empire for well over a thousand years um, was you had these this priest class and they were in charge and so tell me if by the way if, if any of this seems to map onto um into our current reality we, there is a priest class that was in charge of information and they had a monopoly on information and the way that they Don't maintained that Ruben. right <laughs> and the way that they maintained that was the bible was only written in latin Mm. so average people didn't even have access to this so this this priestly class that was in charge of reality truth morality um they had a monopoly on information and they kept that the access to that information away from average people and then you have the printing press get invented and that there is a reason why shortly after the printing press was invented, we get the Protestant Reformation. But all in that around that same time period, you're, what you see is there is a movement with some people who want to translate the Bible into English, so the average person can read it. And uh, so you could just substitute God with reality here if we want to map it onto current current day or, or truth, so that the average person doesn't need a middleman between them and truth, between them and reality. Um, and it, in this case, them and God, they're like, well, I want to read the Bible for myself. And the early people who tried to do this were murdered. The church killed them. William Tyndale is a great person to read his story. He was a person who was trying to, I think this is in the 1400s. Um, I'm pretty sure it was either 1400s or early 1500s, but try, was trying to translate the Bible into English and did that. And he ends up like the, the way they, they 
killed him was like epic. It was savage. Like they uh, tortured him and they burned him. If I, if I remember right, really for heresy, for heresy, for trying to uh, another, there was a guy, um, John Wycliffe died before they like, this could have happened, but he was a huge advocate. That's what there's an organization today that is dedicated to translating the Bible into other languages for, and it's called Wycliffe. It's after John Wycliffe, but there was a huge smear campaign against John Wycliffe after he died because he was a heretic. He wanted everyday people to have access to the Bible. And so can, once can we just, can we just pause for a second and just appreciate the it. fact that, that during the reformation, there were people that literally got burned at the stake for, for thought crime. Yeah. Oh, that's I mean, exactly right. Yeah. And, and like, we think we've got it so bad now that like we might speak up and lose our jobs. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, but my point is, is that there, like, there is a lot we can learn from the enlightenment and how the church reacted to the enlightenment. But I think you have to look at how the church reacted when they, at that time, they had a monopoly on information when they had a monopoly on truth mm-hmm. and they saw that there were, there was a chance um, Brett and Heather did it, did an interview with, uh, with Ben Shapiro the other day. I, it was funny. I was like, I haven't watched anything with Ben Shapiro for so long. Um, but I watched that cause they just released this book, a hunter Guider's guide to the 21st century, I think, um, which I definitely want to read. Um, but one of the things that Brett said in that conversation is, is you have to ask yourself why there is so much effort being put into getting people to, to not talk to those that they disagree with. And the reason is because they might introduce like doubt or contradictory viewpoints from what the established viewpoints are. And so I think that we have to look at how the church responded when it was very corrupt. Um, the, the Roman or the Catholic church was at that point in time, and they had a monopoly on truth. They had a monopoly on morality. And what did they do when there was a group of people who was trying to, they were like, well, you would think that this would be fine. If you look at Luther's 99 treaties that he, that he nailed to the, uh, to the door of the Vatican when they're building it, Luther was very much like, you could tell he was still like trying to make good faith arguments and try to like, it wasn't at that point in time, he thought that the Catholic church was still salvageable from how he, from the corruption he saw. And he's like, can you answer this? Can you answer this? Like, and he saw what was going on. And so there's all these people during the reformation you can look at that, that are like, they say things that are pretty reasonable and ask questions that are pretty reasonable, like Nicki Minaj, you know, mm-hmm. um, at, you ask a question, it's reasonable. And then it's like a huge overreaction backlash. It's like, what is going on here? Yeah. What is happening? They give you more and information so, with the backlash than they wouldn't just answer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think there's a lot to, to learn from how does a, an establishment or the, I mean, this is where uh, Yarvin gets the, the cathedral from is from um, this metaphor, basically. Um, and so it's like, well, how does that, how does a, a, a group, an, an institution that has a monopoly on morality and truth respond when their people start asking questions and say, well, maybe we should also have access to truth so we can form our own conclusions. You know, a lot of what the reason the Reformation happened is because they're like, that's not what the Bible says. Like, what are you doing, guys? Like, that's that's not in there at all. Like, hold on a second. And there, there's a reason America was founded by people that were like, we need to be able to practice our own religion, like Quakers, who are like, we just want to read the Bible and do what it says. And that what the church is doing at this point in time is completely bonkers and not even, they're, they're so off the reservation with this thing. 
And so like, I think that my point is, is you're asking about who's the main people we should reach. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the right thing. I think the right thing is to try to study the reaction mm-hmm. and to try to study the reactants and, and the institution and try to get them to react in the most public way possible mm. and so to you try and get to incriminate themselves. Yes, because that's how people best we've known this. I've taught, I've said this a hundred times. It's a casualty versus converts problem. We are not making converts. And I don't think we're going to be able to make converts. I used to ask the question, how can we make converts? How can we make converts? I think that the best thing we can do is to be there is to be that. And this is where someone like Ben Shapiro does have utility is to be there in the wings. And this is what we would do going back to the evangelism metaphor, where it's like people would, you know, someone would say, hey, I've had these conversations with this person and they're not quite there yet. And I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels with them. We'd always say, never, don't cut that person out of your life. Like you want to be available for them because people ultimately things happen in their lives where they do ask those questions and you want to be there for them when that thing happens. And so I think that the best thing we can do is to be that net to catch people jumping out of the burning building whenever they realize that it's on fire. And so they, but they have to see this thing for themselves. I brought this up in the Ember thing the other day where it's like, you know, there's the zombies, the zombies are here. Like people have to see this thing for themselves. And so I think the best thing we can do is try to understand. And I don't know if manipulates the right word, but uh, harness the power of these re of the reactants and their reactions and the collateral damage they're creating. You know, that's, that's where you get that term, like um, accelerate the, the decay, accelerate the contradictions, right? And so I think we do have to accelerate some of these things or because the, the, the other thing is, and I've been, I've been watching and reading a lot of Curtis Yarvin. And like I mentioned, uh, there is something I, that in the other day that there is something interesting happening on the right when Tucker Carlson has Yarvin on. But one of the things he said there is he's like, He's like you under the libs, you see them as your enemy. And there is some truth to that, uh, that the left establishment, you see it as your enemy. He's like, you have to see it as a predator. It's not, this is not a level playing field. It's not all of these things have so much more power than we could possibly have. So the best thing we can do, if we were to consider ourselves an insurgent movement is to, to, I mean, why is it, why is it effective when the U S who's incredibly powerful drone strikes and kills a few families they make martyrs they the u.s has done more to to convince people the taliban is right than the taliban has right that might be a controversial statement but i would say it's not wrong if especially if you look at the history like desert storm all this other stuff and us just leaving you know then this is where bin laden comes from you know if you watch charlie wilson's war this is it that that's the the end of that movie Right. Is that we don't help them. We just we we create a vacuum and we betray their trust. And so my point is, is that if we're the insurgent force, our job should be to co-opt and exploit the strength and the overreaction of these reactants more than to have these like little individual campaigns. Now, there is some use like utility there. Um, and I will end it here. I know I said that a minute ago, but I will end it here. Um, I've heard some people say that we're in like the pamphlet spreading phase right now. I think that that's right. And that is that that's that is perfectly in line with what I mean of being available so that people like when this stuff happens, it's like, okay, what's going on here? I have questions. There's that meme where you saw where it's like how the left uh, like how the center has turned into the right. And there's a person standing in the middle of the line. There's a person on the left, a person on the right. 
And the person on the middle says, you know, you're both making pretty good points. And then the person on the left shoves them across the line. And, and then the person on the right catches them and they say, are you okay? And then the person on the left says, why are you siding with those bigots? We need to be there to catch them. We need to be, have the information and be sowing broadly with that. But I think it's, it's, we're dependent on accelerating the reactants more than we are trying to target any specific group. Yeah, but I got to push back on this a little bit, Truman, because I, I agree with everything you just said, but then my mind instantly goes to, okay, what happens when someone, you know, has their revelation that something is wrong and they go to someone to say, what, what's going on? I don't understand. And they aren't lucky enough to land on your channel or my channel or any of like the good people's channels. And they end up getting told, you're stupid libtard. Why didn't you see what was going on earlier? And this is why I say that like, we need to position this in people's heads is like, like one of the goals has got to be waking people up because if we create a goal of saying like, we need to create a soft place for people to land, to be able to ask those questions, then, then what I see happening on the right and God knows, like I have been called a leftist over and over and over again by people on the right, simply because I don't have the haircut they want me to have. Like I can take it, but I know that a lot of people that are waking up and especially people when they're kind of like in that initial questioning stage and they know something's wrong, but they don't know what to do about it. Like, and all of a sudden they're being insulted by people on the right who have become just as tribal as people on the left. Like it doesn't help matters and it's just gonna send them right back. So, so yeah, so part of what I'm talking about includes, so there was another saying, look, I'm just pulling all of the, all of my, uh, campus ministry experiences out here we say more is more is caught than taught Mm -hmm. and and what that means is is it more if like people are going to glean more from your example um if if you're seen as a leader or whatever people are going to glean or you're saying i'm i represent x Mm -hmm. they're going to glean more about what x is or what it means to be x from how you like what you do then like maybe some some hollow words you might later contradict. So more is caught than taught. So part of what I'm talking about here is saying that we have to we have to model that. And that part of that like evangelistic thing is to say like, hey, you know, what does Jordan Peterson say? He says whenever someone does what you want them to do, never punish that. Mm-hmm. So if a person comes from the left and they're like, man, I had this bad experience, I might still hold a ridiculous amount of policy positions or specific things that you might not like or agree with, but they're still asking questions. They're still talking to you. They're doing the forbidden thing. And so I think that part of that process for us has to be, and this doesn't just appeal to any specific group is to say, it's okay to talk to other people. It's okay to ask questions, like not like D anyone like who is dehumanizing other people. I said this, I think in our conversation after the election where I'm like, anyone who's trying to convince you that someone is your sworn enemy and you have to hate them and that you can't talk to them. That's who you need to be on the lookout for yeah. period full stop. It doesn't matter whether they have an R or, or a D in front of their name full stop. And so I think that we can do both. We can say we can make it where our side, because I think that's who we have the most access to is as welcoming as possible. And, and say, if you, I mean, you did this before you said, you said, look, I want hell yeses or hell no's if you're, and you can just add to like, you're not on my team if a person from the left might still think socialized medicine is a good idea, but they're opposed to vaccine stuff and you want to talk to them about the socialized medicine. Yeah. It's like, no, you are off the res- Like, Go somewhere else and do that. Go find a, a fucking Reddit page about uh, why Medicare for all is a good idea and shit post there. 
But if this person is is actually trying to have an a honest, good faith conversation about this thing and they're a potential ally in this thing that matters, like you got to just let the other stuff go for the time being. Like, right. like pick your battles, man. And 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 I totally agree with that, and you know I do. But um, did you see this video that Boyce put out the other day about the cult of the anti woke? I, it's on my watch later. It's it's on my watch later. It's it, it's really good and it's really insightful. And I guess he's like in a little feud with Libs of TikTok, which I didn't realize. And apparently Libs of TikTok has blocked him and he's blocked them and there's a thing going on. But like he basically brought up this point that- You know, I love all this drama stuff. So yeah. Well, no, no, no. But like- it, <laughs> I, I know, I know. It leads to, know. A, it leads to a productive point um, where, yeah. um, where like his contention is that he likes what Libs of TikTok are doing, but that he thinks it's a little- problematic dare i say to um to basically target like teenagers on tiktok that are posting stupid teenage things and by teenagers i'm including 18 19 you know maybe like even some like early like people who have no life experience let's just say that they're posting these things on tiktok because that's what college tells them to do and they look stupid and then lips of tiktok post that to 300,000 followers including basically every main influencer and it's all over on twitter and then everyone's making fun of these children um which i think is like a really fair point to say like maybe that's not the best way to get our point across and we are forever forever radicalizing those kids who they are kids most of the time um, and don't have fully formed like logic functions in there. They don't fully form like frontal lobes. Um, but what you could also say like, I saw Libs of TikTok the other day. And again, like I actually really like Libs of TikTok. I think that it's, you know, a good idea. It's enter- entertaining. But I saw them the other day posting kind of like a Biden, a Biden L of like a Biden voter then coming out and saying like, here are all the reasons I would never vote for Biden again. And they posted like a, like all a, a bunch of his tweets, like four different tweets that he sent, like months apart saying, guys, I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned. And then it ends with like, I would never vote for Joe Biden again. And if you would, and it's like, you know what? He came around, he saw the light and now 300,000 people on Twitter are making fun of him. And it's like, you know, I understand that. So it, they were it, making it, fun it, of him. Oh yeah. They were making fun of him. Okay. Yeah. They were they were basically they were mocking him like saying better luck next time or something like you know it, it was just like it was stupid it was a stupid cheap uh, win sure. and it's like yeah. it's like when it feels and I understand why the right is angry I really do but to me and I, I I'm I'm at least partially creating a devil's advocate right now because I don't think that what we're doing is totally useless by any means but when you have a mob of people on the right, that are just out for blood because of how angry they are with this entire situation. Is it even possible to evangelize to a smaller group within this larger context and to have it make any difference? And like I said, I'm playing devil's advocate to a certain extent because I agree with everything that you've said so far, but it just feels like it's like an overwhelming wave of like hate and just like mockery that's being completely misdirected. I feel coming from the right. So there's a few things there. One is I would say, yes, it's absolutely possible. And it's also not just possible. It's kind of like the only thing we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, a, well, there's a few things there. One is that example you gave about the Biden L that guy that would fall squarely in the domain of punishing someone for doing the thing you want them to do. Right. right? So obviously I think that's a, that's um, completely idiotic and counterproductive. There is a factor, uh, I don't really want to talk about this, but there is a factor that I think that people need to understand um, 
that and and I think that the actually that the left needs to understand about the right is and and is so Joe Biden gives this speech where he says our patience is wearing thin, right? To the unvaccinated people. He says our patience is wearing thin. You saw the, the hilarious video of the of the probable prostitute saying our patience is wearing thin. Like it's hilarious, you know. She she makes that that video. What people on the left need to understand is that there is a huge group of people on the right who are like, motherfucker, our patience is wearing thin. Yeah. Like whenever I see the video of someone trying to force a mask on a two-year-old, like my patience is wearing thin. Whenever they're telling a pregnant woman, uh, you have to get vaccinated or you can't go grocery shopping with an experimental vaccine, like my patience is wearing thin. Like with all of this stuff, the LECC or whatever, my patience is wearing thin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I think that there is like, I've, I, and I mentioned this before, but I have been, especially after Afghanistan, like I can, I can feel a, um, an anger. My wife and I were talking about this last night of like, I'm angry and I'm angry pretty regularly. And I can feel the tempt. Like I've been wanting, like I, I haven't done it. Cause my dad used to always send me these articles about, you know, Trump is Hitler and, you know, and look at the similarities between the rise of Trump and the Third Reich. And he was so excited for Joe Biden to be president because he was going to restore like faith in America and restore our like dignity on the world stage. And like I have just wanted to blow his phone up and just like build back better, man. We're building it back. Inflation, illegal immigration, <laughs> Afghanistan shit show. This is going great. The federal government overreach into fucking everything. You know, I can feel it now, but what I recognize, I recognize that as I'm just angry and I want to take, I like my, my yeah. dad is, is like, he's my dad. Like, it's not, that would just be, I want a place to put that anger, you know, and he's what comes to my I mind. Get it. I get it. Exactly. I feel like that's where so, a lot of people on the right are. That's, that's what I'm saying. And so I think that there's a few things there with the, so we'll do the libs of TikTok thing specifically, is there's a lot of people that their patience is wearing thin and it's easier for them to ridicule like some, you know, kid on TikTok or whatever, because they don't really have any other outlets and they're not like violent. They don't want to do anything violent. Um, and so but what I will say is that's a factor, but also like the libs of TikTok specifically, um, it's kind of like social media is a thing that can be used um, well or can be used poorly. And I, I do think that that account has a lot of utility in that people need to understand this is what happens. This is the, every single one of those lunatics is a product of public education and the university system. Oh, full yeah. stop. Yeah, full I stop. agree. I agree. Um, uh, I would you could maybe add um, like the media complex, you know, uh, Hollywood to some degree, but it's mostly um, K through 12 and and university system yeah so there's a lot of utility for people to see what like think about how disconnected like we are so disconnected generationally Mm -hmm. and people need to understand like oh this is what the next generation is in a a huge way Mm -hmm. this is what and how do you think they're gonna vote like what people need to see that like communism is not a fringe thing that these ideas aren't fringe anymore they are about as mainstream as it gets at an institutional level and so like i'm not saying it's a like i definitely wouldn't advocate for ridiculing the person who changed their mind on biden 
I do think it's perfectly appropriate one to to show those videos so that people understand exactly what what we're up against because these are those are the kinds of things that most people would not believe it unless they saw it. Like if you said there are people out there who actually believe this, they wouldn't believe it unless they saw it. I, I, Two, I also think that we need to ridicule it. I do think we need to ridicule. I think I think that there is like, I'm sorry. Here's the thing: someone could take a clip of this video and a clip of me talking and put it on Twitter for a bunch of people to laugh at whatever they wanted to laugh at about it. I made the fucking video. I put myself on social media. I put yeah. this content out there and I do think it's free game. I'm sorry. I do think it is. If you're making videos at TikTok, because guess what? Here's the thing. Every single person who makes one of those videos, they want it to go viral. They want to, they want it to reach a big audience. They do. They want that. They want a lot of people to see it. And so it's like, you don't get to choose who those people are and how they react. Well, You're getting I, what you want. And so I, I think it has to be ridiculed. I think they're putting themselves out there. And I, and I do think it's perfectly fine. Even if it's a huge Twitter blue check account that retweets it and makes fun of them. I, 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 I just, I do. With, I agree with you to a certain extent, but I also want people to see the other reality of this in that you will permanently, permanently like send people away from your team. I don't think and, we can know that. I don't well, think we can know that. I, I, I absolutely can. And I'm going to give you an example because this happened to me. And I'll, I'll because I have been ridiculed to hell or from hell or high water by the political right. I got canceled. I got canceled by the left when I first left the left. And that, you know, that was expected all throughout 2021. I have been ridiculed almost every single effing month. There has been something viral that the political right has done to me. And some of them have been really, really, really bad. And I'll sure. tell you, as someone who literally was one of very few people in 2020 traveling the country, trying to get people to leave the left and to vote for Donald Trump, I will never vote for a Republican again. That's where I'm at. I will not vote for them. I will not be an activist for them. I will not be an activist for their cause. They have permanently lost me because of this bullshit online. Now, I do agree with you that anytime we put stuff online, we open ourselves up to public ridicule. Now, I like to I like to stir the pot. Like it's so so part of, some of the stuff is, you know, partially stuff that I created and I'll take full responsibility for that. But I also think that when we're talking about ridiculing people every single day, and I think that there is a difference between ridiculing people for for like just purposes and all, and ridiculing ideas. And I don't always think the right distinguishes between the two. They go after one of the things I've noticed about being canceled by like both different groups is that like when the left cancels someone, they primarily they they do it's like they come in and they do it quickly. It's like it's like it's like the difference between ripping the band-aid off and like tearing it off slowly. The left comes in quickly. They rip the band-aid off and they go right for your finances. They go after your job. They go after your business relationships. They want to make it difficult for you to live your life. Now that's not good. It sucks. But that's fundamentally crippling. I mean, for a lot well, of people, you were robust to that. A lot of people I, aren't. Well, well, I I know, but like, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's a good thing. But I, I guess sure. I'm trying to 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 talk about the difference between how the two different groups cancel because it is very sure. different. The left goes after your money. They go in, they get out. They're onto their next target. It's not carried on for weeks on end. For in most cases, at least in my experience, um, what the right does is they go after your, you as a person. 
They go after you. It's very deeply personal. It's not, it's not strategic at all. They don't go after your finances. They don't try to make it hard to live. They try to make it hard for you to exist as a person. They make every attack incredibly personal. They will go through your entire history, your entire social media history, pull things out of context purely for the sport of creating ridicule. And when it comes to, again, if we're talking about we have to create an environment for people to land, I don't know how those two things work together because I don't, I don't know where people land right now because it seems as though if, if the right is ridiculing people, people, not ideas, people for sport on a daily basis on every major social media platform. And I think like in the, in the day that we exist in, that is the town square, right? It's social media. It's not the sure. real town yeah, square of course. anymore. Like, how do we, how do we even like have, like, where do people go? when they wake up because if all they see is people like me are going to be ridiculed ad nauseum and it's going to be direct personal attacks all day every day where do they go i think your personal experience obviously has a pretty big impact on how you see that it does I mean, but it's also the, not invalid well, naturally it's not invalid. No, no, no. Of course not. Of course it's yeah. not invalid. No, it's privately valid. I mean, it's because it's true. It's not. It's not like I'm you know some fabricated it's a thing. Experience, but like, yeah, you know. yeah. But but I mean, like, of course, the left absolutely digs through people's shit to try and cancel them. That's where all this stuff comes from. You know, people digging up old tweets. The left. I mean, I don't know what else you call permanently are, labeling but, but, people but are, racist and bigots and white using, supremacists other than a personal attack. But again, but what are they using it for? They go. They go after their their income. It's a different. Well, it, not just that. No, 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 no. That's part of it. That's part of it. Different experience. Look, it's multiple things. It's not just the income. They're making examples of them. They put people in the stocks and say, this is what happens if you question us. You will be fucking ruined. That's what the left does. That's what that's what canceled. Cult, that's what that silencing. Honest. That's what that eggshells thing is. I, again, all I, I'm saying I, I, is I that have the, to be honest and say that that didn't happen. To, I have been canceled by the left like multiple times. That's never happened. Sure. To me. Because you've proven robust to it. But even you've when proven I wasn't, robust to it. But even when I wasn't, I wasn't always robust to but, it. I lost everything. Well, sure, but but it it clearly wasn't permanent. And so right. my point is is that the again, think about the predator thing. If a lot of these people are predators, if they if they don't have anything, if you don't give them anything, they don't have anything. And I think one of the reasons the left moves on is because this is a like it's a it's way more too, endemic on like, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so uh, my point is, is that, okay, I, I use, this is the argument I use with people who are yeah. assholes that use racial slurs. Well, hold on. Just let me, okay. just tell me if, if this makes sense. Mm -hmm. So a person who's an asshole is often stupid. They're not always stupid, but if they're going to use a racial slur, they're probably stupid. Yes. And so they go to the lowest bottom hanging fruit of a thing they could say to somebody. All right. And so mm -hmm. if it was, if it was me, they might call me like a fag or something. Right. Like I'm not gay, but like that, I got called that a lot whenever I was in high school. Right. That's just how yeah. boys pick on each other. You know, now, if I was Mexican, I might have gotten called something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my point is, is that if you're an asshole, you're a bad actor. I get called a Jew all the time these days. So I understand. Sure. So if you're an asshole or a bad actor, like you might use different strategies with different with different people, but it's all basically the same thing. It's it, at its core. And all I'm saying is, is that there are people on the right who are assholes and bad actors, and there are people on the left who are assholes and bad actors. Now, there are different breeds of how they like apply that assholery, but 
to say like that there is any one form of canceling that is like unique to either side. I, I don't think there is because there's assholes. Disagree with you. Well, that's fine. Of course, that's that's yeah. totally fine. But it's almost all I'm saying. The it, thing of it is, is like it's almost immaterial though, because you know, regard maybe let's just let's for argument's sake the left are the worst cancelers in history of cancelers it is like the worst possible thing that can happen to anyone and the right right is pussy cats by comparison fine whatever it actually doesn't make a difference though because people who are waking up still have no safe place to land when the right is doing just as much canceling for sport as the left does and they're still really effing vicious about it to the point where they completely turn people off from even wanting to be sure. associated with them like totally i look at the right agree. right now and it's the republican party from the 90s well, I, I think that we have to delineate a little bit because so let's let's take it the other side and say the left. Mm-hmm. There are people. So um, Brett and Heather still absolutely say I'm on the left. I'm on the political left. Would yeah, I, I make you that's because they don't understand what's happened? <laughs> well, sure. But but just but ideologically uh, that the, their values and stuff align with traditional progressivism. Right. And traditional like liberalism, which is fundamentally associated with the left. Yeah. Any statement I make about the left almost today, especially in a pejorative sense, is going to never include Brett and Heather ever. It just won't. Right. And so they're not really on the I, left. They just well, they but are. I think they are. I, I think they are. Uh, I like if, if there was a, a reasonable Democrat who got who who went up there, who was like a Bill Clinton type or Barack Obama type. Like they would vote for that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. If they weren't playing the identity politics game, they would vote for that person. But that nope. doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. But I'm just saying like the, we have to cons- like think about it as I don't like I my point is I'm just trying to push back against saying the left or the right mm-hmm. in that like because of how varied those groups are and how almost meaningless those labels have become because of the it's a lot more the authoritarian libertarian kind of right. thing and so I, I understand they're they're useful shorthand but to yeah. your point and I, this is the question i want to answer is you said there's no place for those people to go there's no place for those people to to go to to appear at right yeah um if they if they're if someone's pushed out of the left because of the right i don't think they need to have a place to go other than to each other like the the I'm not thinking about this that. as a big top down thing. I'm thinking about this as a bottom up thing because it's that micro level. Like we were, we were talking about the the evangelism, you know, ideologically or how, what we do with the word definition stuff. All of that is micro. And the reality is is that these people are finding each other. People are finding each other. People are coming together across who might have different histories politically or ideologically people are like disaffected liberals and disaffected conservatives are finding each other yeah but i don't i don't necessarily think it's easy for them to find each other i don't know but what what in life that's worth doing is easy well but it's one of those things like if you you don't know what you don't know and so like when people start waking up and they start looking around and going like this is crazy this is not good like why doesn't anyone else see this and they go through because I think that everyone who wakes up goes through a process of like feeling insane to a certain extent and they don't know where to go. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Like I had no like uh, the only thing I had when I woke up was the walkaway campaign. The walkaway campaign is now gone. Yeah. That was the only place I had to go. Well, they're not gone, but they're not like they're not as accessible yeah. as they as they were, you know, when I woke up. And so I, I do think people need a place to land. I do think people need a, a, a community 
in, even if it's just like a, like a friend or two to say, you're not crazy. This is real. Like you are seeing reality. They need someone to help them like usher through that process. Otherwise they're just going to run right back to what's most comfortable for them, which is like blue on essentially. Right. Well, here's what I'll say. One is they do have those. I mean, that's what locals is. They can find other content How creators. They, they can do that. Exist, though? How do they know it exists? I truly, why did I had- Wired magazine? I think it was Wired. Uh, who who was it? I think it was Wired. Write a whole thing about how people find Ben Shapiro and Joe Rogan who, on who YouTube, and they Wired? end up going down the red pill rabbit hole. When I woke up, I wasn't. No, no, no. Wired magazine watching. was documenting. They were. Do- I think it was Wired. Yeah. They were documenting because they. The reason why, like, how about this? Let's let's go this route. So same with same with you. Yeah. When I first started waking up to stuff, like for me, the process was, I bet four years, four to five years before I found anyone that I could really talk to about the stuff besides my wife, four to five years. Yeah. That's the process time. for you was a while, right? Yeah. It was, it was a while. Several months. Yeah. The process, several months, mm-hmm. the process for people who start asking questions today and finding any like-minded individuals has gotten considerably shorter. It has I, gotten considerably condensed because I, I, I more people have woken up. There's an asymmetry. Hang on. I don't, more... I don't know. I don't know that we can say that though. I don't know that we can sure. say that because like when I woke up, I was in a position where I worked for myself and I ended up, you know, watching frankly, just a lot of YouTube. And I think it accelerated my waking up. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have to like, you know, report to anyone and I could do what I wanted with my time. And so like, but, but like, not everyone watches YouTube. I mean, that's just reality. And I think that, that even if we look in, in, you know, I hear this all the time from my audience at YouTube, Carlin, what's locals? I've never heard of locals before. People don't know what these things are. And it's like, I don't think that we can make the assumption that just because we understand this, that, that that's something that's going to be immediate. A lot of people don't know who Dave Rubin is. A lot of people have no idea who he is. A lot of people, but more people know who Dave Rubin is today than they did a year ago. More people yeah. know who Brett Weinstein is today than they did a year ago. More people know who you are today than but, they did a year but, ago. More but, people know, but, you know what I mean? That's all I'm saying is, is that it's. But my point is that that's not going to be an avenue that's accessible to everyone. It's so going to be go back to what I to, to a small group of people. And I don't think, I don't think that that's good enough long-term. I, I would substitute small with growing, which is good enough long-term because growing it it naturally implies that the longer you go throughout time, then the larger it becomes and the larger it becomes, the more accessible it is to people. Sure. But That's it's... all I'm saying. Like, go back to what I said at the very beginning of this okay. uh, conversation where I was talking about evangelism, right? Mm-hmm. We have to, the, the few people that we do have access to and who listen to what we're saying we just have to make them own. They have to have ownership in this thing. They have to have skin in the game. They have to see that they have as vital, if not a more vital role to play than we do because they have access to people that we don't have access to. And as those people, and, and that's across the board, that's everyone in this space. And I think more and more people are, are preaching that message for lack of a better term. It, they just, they are of like, talk to each other, talk across the, the spec, be available to people. Be patient with people if they are showing interest, if they are showing curiosity or showing doubts. As this, like, again, more people know who all of these people are today 
than they did a year ago than they did six months ago. Who are yeah. the dead creators in this space? Who's gotten down? Like, mean? I'm saying in terms of the people who are providing, like, let's just be clear about what we're talking about. Like, people providing alternative perspectives to like the mainstream leftist mm -hmm. thing, right? Like, and I'm talking about like people who are like heterodox thinkers, yeah. like you or I. Like, the people who've been in this space for a while and have just been continued to grow, there's way more of those than people who were big like four years ago and who just don't exist anymore. Like I can think of maybe two, Stefan Molyneux, Molyneux and um, Milo Yiannopoulos. Both of Everyone them else, Both of them still they still exist, but I'm saying I think they've gotten smaller audiences. Like well, they're smaller yeah, than they, they were at their peak. Stefan got kicked off of YouTube. And that, yeah. and that brings up another point is like, you, you don't think we're all, I think we're all going to get kicked off social media. That's why I do. Locals. I, like I, we're all I think get we kicked will off of social media and that's going to be a thousand. I think harder. we will, but no, no, no. Here's why I think that's actually going to be a good thing. All right. You ready? I'm going to, I'm going to white pill you on big tech censorship. All right. Go for it. Um, what happened? What happened whenever Alex Jones got banned from YouTube? I mean, he got, he did, he did. Okay. No, he did okay, but I'm talking about what were the arguments that were made. People said it's know. just Alex Jones. He's the most extreme. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is what happens if once they once they kick all of us off of YouTube, they, this is the socialist, you know, or the collectivist, like the fatal flaw, the fatal of it, as Hayek would call it. He wrote a whole book about it, is that they make they make way too many assumptions about consensus. Once they get rid of all the people like us. Do you really think there's going to be no one? They'll go, we're good. They never do that. Concept creep is the most powerful fucking force that these people know that they have. And so what all they're going to do is there will be like, they will, they will have no one left, but the people on their team and they're going to alienate them. But that's they're going to alienate them because they'll that's push. Yeah, true. they, they push no, them no, off. No, they that's didn't. not true. That's not true. What they're what going to about? do, they're going to strategically target people that they don't want people hearing from. They're going to keep the most extreme voices. It's not like they're going to target everyone that they consider an extreme voice. Like that guy that I documented in the anti-white article, that guy's on YouTube. Yeah. He's going to sure. be yeah, on YouTube for Kingdom Come because he is the enemy. Miley Yiannopoulos is on YouTube. He's on YouTube right now. He's still there. Because he like they need people to provide that balance so they can say, oh look, we've got Miley Yiannopoulos on YouTube. We're not we're not banning everyone. We're just banning certain people who are egregiously violating our guidelines. They're going to be so targeted. You're not wrong. It's not going to be everyone. So you're not wrong. But here's what I'll say, okay, is that as they ban more people, they will face because this is the problem with the monster that they create. Mm -hmm. They're going to face what, like their own side, the people within their organization are going to go, why do we still have these people on this platform? Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're going to be taught, like they will give in because there will be like what the more you reduce the population of targets when it's not a target rich environment, those few targets that remain stand out like a sore thumb. Right. And so it's not going to be get hate speech off of YouTube. It's going to be like, why are these 10 people left on here? You got rid of, here's all the people you got rid of. Why are these people still on here? They're way worse. And so they will end up caving to the monster that they created because they, there will be nothing left for these fucking clowns to do in that space, right? To, to say, why are these people still on here? And so they'll end up having to get rid of them is my point. They will have to, they will have to. 
And when they do, all the, these apparatus don't shut down. It's concept creep to the nines. And so they're, then they're going to turn on the people that are left. And every single time that they do this, this is the U.S. drone striking the wrong car. Every time they do this, they might hit a target, they might not, but they're going to radicalize, radicalize, but all I mean, I mean they're going to red pill um, an, another 10 people, right? Every single time. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more than they can handle. And at some point, there's going to be a tipping point of the people who go, this is fucked. No, no. I, I mean, I think I mentioned this in our last conversation where I'm like, actually, I think that this vaccine stuff, or maybe two conversations ago, I'm like, I think there's a lot more people who are capable of being red pilled than I had previously thought. Because they're going to continue to, to expand their reach. They're, we have to understand that their power grabs mm-hmm. are dynamic, not static. Their criteria for canceling is dynamic, not static. And, and all of these things are dynamic, not static. It gets worse over time. It has gotten worse. Everything about what they do gets worse. The, the terms get worse where they can apply them more broadly. Everything gets worse. And the more those tendrils extend, that's why we've seen way more of these casualties waking up in the last several years of people who we thought would have never would have, you know, woken up where they're like, okay, something's going on here. Right. And so like you got Russell Brand making videos about Trump was right. You know, like what is going on? Fair point. And so like there, that's my point is that this is all dynamic and it's only going to get worse. And as it gets worse there, because this is what happens. This last thing I'll say, this is what happens and why the, the socialism doesn't work. Why collectivism doesn't work is it assumes consensus where there is none. And whenever they're faced with the lack of consensus, they basically have two options, exert power or fail. And all these people know how to, because they're so convinced of the certitude of their programs and of their worldview, they continually exert more and more power. And the more and more power they exert, the less and less consensus they have. Mm -hmm. Because more and more people were like, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for that. Oh, now you're targeting me. Okay. And so like, and the more they do that, and, and I'm talking about like this ideological exertion of, of power, like what the, the main flaw that they have here, and this is going to sound crazy is they haven't gone full fascist is that, is that they are, they're red pilling people online before nationalizing the military and all this other stuff, because it's not a centralized thing. This is a decentralized oligarchy. And so if they did that, then it'd be fine, but they, they do not have the, the mechanisms in place. You can tell they're trying to, to deal with the overwhelming backlash they're going to get from the population from this stuff. You can tell they're like, oh crap, we've got, we put the cart before the horse a little bit here. We don't have the, the things in place to deal with the fat, with our power, our power grabs. If they had done that, they'd be, they'd been fine. But does that make sense? I think my point is, is that they're red pilling people more and more. It's just a matter of, can we sustain the collateral damage necessary to hit that tipping point? You didn't white pill me, but I understand your point. I just don't, I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't think, it's a, and, and the reason I don't agree with it is I think that, that the general populace is just too far gone. I think they're too, I think it's like at the end of Harrison Bergeron where like, yeah. th- like the populace yep. has now been shown explicitly what's going on. They're being controlled by this force that is, that is purposefully trying to make life equitable for everyone and keep everyone the same regardless. And what do they do at the end of Harrison Bergeron? They just turn up those headbands so everyone goes back to sleep. Here's why that do doesn't it in work. A way that they don't even understand what they saw. That doesn't work as a metaphor. And here's why. Because everything I'm saying 
is that more and more people are going to become collateral damage as this thing directly negatively impacts their life. That's not the people have seen. I mean, we've seen people have plenty of examples of why the left is nuts right now. People can look at Afghanistan and make all these excuses or whatever. Like, that's fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm not talking about people that see it and go, la, 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 this is fine. You know, they're, you know, the left is the dog in the house, right? This is fine. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that are like, be, find themselves in the crosshairs. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that more and more people are finding themselves in the crosshairs and directly impacted by this thing, directly impacted by this socially, financially, relationally, mentally, mm-hmm. whatever. That's what I'm talking about. And so, and as that happens, a large percentage of those, some of those people, I'm not saying all of them are going to wake up and go, oh, wow, this is terrible. A lot of them will go, oh, shit. Yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. Like, you know, like not, not everyone's going to, some of them, it'll, they'll be like, I'll better step in line. Like, it's fine. But, but there's also going to be a large percentage of those people that are like, no. And as that happens, that's what I'm, you see the difference between what I'm saying. It's not, did you see it on TV? It's did the monster show up in your house? Well, let me, let me give you a really clear example of why I don't, I don't think that this is going to make a difference. So a lot of people right now are dealing with the reality that they're going to get fired from their job unless they get a vaccine. Right. Yep. And what are most of them doing? They're getting the vaccine. They are. Yeah. So this is, this is something that's directly confronting them, hitting them right in the face. You will do what the state wants you to do, or you will lose your ability to earn an income. And what are they saying? And I know this because I see them saying it on my social media. They're saying, well, I've got a cushy job and I have benefits. I have a mortgage. It's not worth it. Yep. And, and totally. I, I, I completely disagree with this, but, but you know, it's just not worth it. And it's like, what they don't realize is what is the next thing? And I don't begrudge people who are making the choice to get the vaccine because they want to pay their mortgage. And the next, I, I, I completely get it. But at the same time, like this, this is what you're describing. These are people that are being directly impacted by this thing right now to be forced into a position of choosing between a medical decision that they don't want to make, that they are not making of their own free will and keeping their job. And it's like, it, it's the easiest thing. But not all of them, say. but not all but of them are doing them, that. But a lot of right. Them- but of that, but here's here's what I'm saying is that we have we have to look at there's a lot of asymmetries here. Okay. Here's one a here's an asymmetry. All right. The amount of people that why do we why do we use the red pill metaphor? Because you right, but we use it because you can't unsee it once you see it. Yeah, Cypher doesn't inserted back into the matrix. Cypher wanted to be inserted back into the that's matrix. That's my point. But what did Cypher say? No, here, here's part of it. Part of Cypher's deal was he didn't want to remember any of it. He didn't right. say, put me back in, but humans don't work like that. You can't unsee it. Once you, once you see any crack in the system and you start to, to pull on that, th- that thread, it that's comes crashing down pretty quickly. And so we, we don't, don't think about the people who are getting vaccinated to save their jobs and stuff. That's fine. Those people are going to be there. Just like I said, there's people who are going to encounter this thing and, and use it as an example to step in line. The people you want to think about are who are the, who are the Biden voters who are being put in the situation and going, fuck no, no, I'm not doing this. That number is not zero. It's actually a pretty big number. And so those are the people you have to think about. And again, this is dynamic. 
there, there is always going to be another thing. And so the, and as more and more people wake up to there just being something going on there, that's an asymptom. They can't unsee it. That's what I'm talking about is that like, yes, that's you're right. Point. And I am extremely, I'm extremely blackpilled about the, like those people because there's an, another asymmetry in getting vaccinated in that it's like, you can't get unvaccinated. Right. So the number of people that are unvaccinated is only going to continue to go down. And so, I mean, obviously there's some stuff there with population growth and everything, but it's only going to continue to go down. But I think that the number of people who are sympathetic to why someone might not, especially again, if you've already had COVID, like that's the big one. It's like, Hey, I've had COVID. Why should I do this? Um, I'm pregnant. You know, I'm not really, I mean, there was a, there was a big, uh, I forgot there was a, a news announcement, a, a woman in sports. I forgot what it was. She's like, we're trying to have a baby. I don't want to get vaccinated. And so she stepped away from a huge job because of that. And she got a lot of support. So that's all I'm saying is that we are in a situation where as this thing continues to exert power, yes, there are going to be a lot of people that comply. But the question is those people that complied with it, with this vaccine stuff, we're already in all of these other categories. They're not a new class of people. Mm-hmm. They're the same people that would that have went along with all of this shit anyway. So, but every single time they they slice off another portion of the population who goes, that's too much, that's too much, that's too much. And as those slices accumulate, it gets bigger and will necessitate larger exertions of force. And the larger the exertion of force, the larger the slice of the population that gets sliced the next time they do it mm-hmm. and goes and joins that other thing. Does that make sense? No, you're making a fair point. I so think that's I'm what I'm thinking really about. Impatient. I'm extremely impatient with people. Same. But here's the thing. I mean, like, I, I mean, what did I say earlier? I'm incredibly, I'm losing my patience. Every, I, I get to the point where there has been at least three times in the last week where I saw someone outside wearing a mask or with a child wearing a mask outside that I wanted to ask them, hey, why are you doing that? Literally no government agency in the world yeah. supports that decision. Why are you doing that? Uh, both times I was working and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to jeopardize the work that I'm doing. And the third time I was with my wife and I knew she'd be pissed. That's it. But I'm going to start asking these questions. I don't have it in me to not ask these questions anymore because I'm just curious. And I think as like, so my, my point is I understand like the, the loss of patience thing um, I'm just trying to take a, a more like systemic view of it, of what can I control and what can't I control? What are the things I can understand? What are the things I can't understand? And I think there's a lot of category errors that I've made in the past of like events I thought I understood, categories I thought I understood, things I thought I could predict and understand that I can't. And I'm trying to move my mental thinking into the domain of the things that I can understand and predict because they follow a very linear path. Um, and are like more observable and more like uh, it's, it's more empirical knowledge set than the stuff that I've been previously trying to understand. And I think this trend of power overexertion of power overcompensate. I mean, this is the thing that V says in the V for Vendetta speech, right? He's like, they're going to do what they've always done, exert power, and then they're going to fuck up. And then they're going to, it's going to be this big thing. And then that's, you know, this little girl gets shot. Right. And so I watch that movie again. It's a, it's a really good movie. Um, but, and so, but that's my point is that, yes, I think there's a lot of reasons to be blackpilled for people. Generally, I think there's a lot of reasons to be blackpilled for the current physical United States. I think there's a lot of reasons to be blackpilled for the government. I think there's a lot of reasons to be blackpilled over institutions. Um, I don't think that one of the things we can be blackpilled about is to say that 
that we have a static situation of resistance. I think that it's, again, I think it's only grown. Look at how Dave Rubin's audience has grown. Look how yours has grown in this short time period, right? Like more and more people are waking up and as they wake you up, they're finding each other and they're bringing other people with them. Cause that's the thing is it's like, they share these videos. You might not watch YouTube, um, but I might share this YouTube video on your Facebook and you might click it, you know, or I might share this locals, you know what I mean? And so I think that there is a reason to have some hope there. I don't have hope on a macro level. I have no hope. I have no hope for the physical United States as it stands. I have no hope for our government. I have no hope for the institutions. I have no hope for us as a global leader. I don't, you know, I have no hope for any of that on a macro level. But so that's why it's like, okay, but on a micro level, where, where do I have hope? Yeah, actually I have a lot of hope um, because that's, that it's a difference between a city state and like globalization mm-hmm. city states are going to, I've said this before cities that don't exist are going to be built and cities right now that aren't as influential are going to be massively inf- influential um, in the future as this sorting continues to happen. Um, sorry, that was kind of a lot there, but I'm just thinking out loud. But no, no, no. That, I think, what are your I, thoughts I, on I, anything I just no, said? No, I'm, I'm tracking with you on that. And I, I agree that I, I don't have any hope for those institutions either. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. What I have hope for small communities. I do too. I mean, actually, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, <laughs> Jeremy Kaufman, who um, like is one of the people involved with the Free State Project. He's actually going to be on Tim Pool's show tomorrow, which is might be the only reason that I would ever watch that. But like Jeremy's awesome. If you've never seen Jeremy before, Jeremy's awesome. But um, okay. he, he's the uh, he owns Library and Odyssey. Um, and he lives okay. in, like he, he moved nice. to here with, um, with uh, his partner, Rachel, for the Free State Project. Rachel's like the executive director of the Free State Project. Jeremy does a lot of work with them. But the whole idea of the Free State Project is essentially congregating libertarians into New Hampshire so that we can, you know, basically like create a critical mass. And in New Hampshire, it's working like like a, four, a quarter of the House of Representatives in New Hampshire are free. Uh, they're, they're, they're libertarians, essentially. They're, they're Republicans, technically, but they're like liberty Republicans. They're like they're like free staters. And so I think that they're like, I've actually been thinking a lot about that lately in terms of not only the free state project, but also thinking about just like locals and Dave's idea of like creating these uh, communities of like-minded people. I really think that that's the only positive that I see right now. I feel like 100%. everyone, I feel like everyone on like in both the major political tribes are like hunkering down and just growing more and more tribal and more and more insane by the day and just like slinging mud at each other like more and more by the day and then i feel like there are are a whole bunch of people that are like this is stupid you're all missing the flipping point and like the only solace that i feel like we can take is finding each other and creating our own communities so we can try to escape as much as possible the the bullshit mudslinging that's going on on both sides yep so so here's my my if if this is supposed to be a prescriptive thing if we if we are trying to get people practical um thoughts and advice and things to to kick around and to work with here's here's something i've learned carlin and especially from us former lefties you know think about how much deprogramming we have to do with our own brain oh god right yes it's never ending I think one of those deprogramming things that we have to do is we are, we are programmed and geared to think about things on a macro level. What is the government going to do? We, we, a left thinking is a top-down thinking. 
-hmm. it, it just is. It's about creating these programs, creating these systems, creating this thing, like do, do, like doing things, doing all that, building bigger, more power, more of this thing, right? It's all wide scale macro thinking. And I think one of the things we have to do is deprogram that and mm -hmm. say, and try to get back into thinking on a micro level and on a small level and on a, on a level that is as robust not just robust, but anti-fragile to that macro stuff as possible. So one of the, the, I, I think we have to, in a way, become like bureaucrats. Now, here's what I mean by that. Not in the way that they're, they're parasites and cancerous or whatever, but in the way that, so one of the, the um, metaphors that Curtis Jarvin gives about elections and why, and why it's, we have this intractable problem with this bureaucracy and the deep state and these, the, like how our government is not run by anyone who's elected. Like it, it's just not. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what these bureaucracies are is, is he's like, okay, so if you have, he, he's like, here's how elections impact the people who actually run things. It's like they're fish in a coral reef. And they're kind of down, you know, near the, the sand and they're hanging out and there's a storm up above and it just kind of rumbles the water a little bit. They're like, oh, it's a little bit, a little rumbly today. Okay. And then the, the storm's over. That's an election to a, to a bureaucrat. Yeah. That's an election to these people who are in these, in, in these like, like ticks embedded in the, in the government and in these organizations. We need to be like that in terms of how that impacts us. Mm -hmm. And that's part of making that, that focusing on the micro stuff and living in places where it's like, and obviously I'm not saying, here's what I'm not saying, by the way, is um, hunker down with a shotgun on your porch, like a conservative who says, come and take it. And I don't need to be involved in it. Right. Stuff. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we have to build communities that are one. And here's something I think the right is doing well, by the way, they are saying, come move to Texas, come move to Florida. Like, like we want the same people come to Tennessee. Um, I'm really bad about this. I don't want anyone to move to Wyoming. I'm, I'm very happy. I only I want the right people to move to New Hampshire. <laughs> Correct. Right. And so, but, but I think that part of that is, is that if you get enough of those, like, it's not, you don't, you're not building a community with people on their shotgun or people on their porch with a shotgun. Right. You're building communities that have policies and have an ethos of, here we we have a plan for if the federal government does this thing right like no fuck you we're gonna sue we're not gonna do this right make us that's the difference that's the fundamental difference you're you're not it's not do nothing you are actively building a community that is like we will not stand for this government overreach we will pass the laws we want to pass and you can try and do something about it and the more states that do that and the more localities that do that the harder it is for the federal government to have that storm. That's what I mean by that. And so I think that we have to be like that and not focus on this stuff that we can't change. Yeah. We cannot change what the election, like I, I don't have any hope in the election system. So I'm like, why am I even thinking about this? This is what I've been, right. this is what I've, a realization I had the other day. I was like, I don't trust the election system. So why am I thinking about it? I can't do anything about it. You know, again, I this, take a shot every time Truman quotes Chris Yarvin, but Yarvin said like, yeah, someone's like, well, you know, I, I don't like what the government's doing. And he's like, well, yeah, I don't like what the government of Mars is doing, but how much impact do I have on the government of Mars? Well, very little. So how much impact do you have on this government? Like none. So like you have to stop thinking about the, these things that are very much in our face. They are scary. They are threatening. They should not. We shouldn't stop paying attention, but we have to build systems that are as anti-fragile to them as possible. And it's like 
you can do these things, but we have a community of people that is ready to raise our middle fingers and, and say no and like force you to force us. And by doing that, you're going to expose yourself. And now, and now you've given the games, the game's done. The game's done. I have a real world example of that actually happening in New Hampshire today. That was actually pretty awesome. So there was a meeting of the executive council today that was supposed to take place in New Hampshire, which was supposed to, um, they're essentially going to talk about like policies that might result in us taking $27 million from the government to continue to promote vaccination in New Hampshire, which is just stupid. And so the, the, um, a whole bunch of like free staters actually coordinated to go and protest the executive council meeting. They let about 200 of them in the room. There were another couple hundred of them outside that couldn't get in the room because of fire code and actually they ended up canceling the entire meeting because a few members of the executive council were like we don't feel safe with these free staters in the room yeah and so people yeah. can actually do it when they focus their efforts on it exactly exactly so so that's my point is that we have to start like what I, anytime so there was a yesterday I, youtube recommends me a video that's like last chance for biden from ben shapiro i'm like no Come on, there is nothing here for me to talk about. There's yeah. nothing here for me to think about because I don't have any impact on that. I can't do anything about that. And that's not apathy. That's not nihilism because there are things that I can do stuff about. There are things. And so we have to deprogram from the macro down to the micro and focus on building those kinds of, of communities. And it's a completely retooling of the like that locals model and of that like starting small, like bottom up grassroots thing, because it's not. We're not trying to build communities of everyone leave each other alone. Part of this is understanding there is a there is a threat in what this federal government thing has become. There is a threat in the cathedral, and we need to monitor that, but we also need to be in a place where they can't really impact us until they try. And we want to make it very, very difficult for them to try or make it uninteresting for them to try, right? That's what I mean. I'll tell you when I will actually be worried about uh, uh, when we're in a situation where they're like, okay, we will try to force you when they actually do try to take away guns or try to pass massive gut, like gut, like gun stuff. I, I will be worried about that. There's a few like things I have like in my head, I think a direct nationalization of law enforcement will be one of those things. Um, but even then you're going to get small communities where they're like, okay, well, you know? You, know, you know where I think they're going to screw up? Because I do think they're going to try to nationalize law enforcement. I think we're already seeing that. Like, I've got a video prepped to go up on my channel about this. Um, but, like, I think they're going to try to nationalize trucking. And then I think they're really going to fuck up. Because they're already trying to um, mandate that people get the vaccination in order to have a CDL license, which is, like, the fancy license that you need. To really? Yes. I didn't know that. I oh, know what a CDL yeah. is. But, yeah, huh. I've heard it from a couple people now. Yeah. Interesting. So if they try to nationalize trucking, like I think that's how does that work? Because like truck drivers, effort. truck drivers work know. for themselves a lot of times. Like some of them work for big lines, but a lot of them they own their own rigs and they can. I think you know, that this they is a really freelance. good question. Is it going to have uh, like are they going to try to do something with the CDL license where you literally can't drive a truck unless you do the thing they want? Like are they going to create some sort of like like union like the teachers unions? Is it going to be something like that? I don't know, but, but that's my point. That's, that's another example of that overreach of power that will, that will have a, an an unintended consequence. Mm -hmm. They have one answer and it's, and it's force. They have one answer, um, force and coercion. And that just, it doesn't work if you're not willing to go all the way on it. And I think thus far, most of the people who are behind this aren't willing to go all the way on it. 
And that's going to be their undoing, which is a good thing. I mean, I'm okay with that. I mean, that's again, Hayek, his main thesis is socialism can only be achieved through means that most socialists would find unpalatable. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't do it. They'd be like, fuck this. I'm out. I can't do this. Um, And I think that that's, that's generally the case here. Um, So anyway, I don't know. Does that make sense? I mean, I feel like I've said a lot just about like, I mean, what are your thoughts just on what I'm saying about just thinking about this stuff differently? I think it's, um, I think it's, you know, I think it's, it it makes sense on a practical level. I think it's hard to rewire our brains in terms of thinking more locally and more micro. I think it makes sense from like a conceptual level, but it's like so hard to think about that. It's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I go back and forth with it too, because I, again, like I understand it. I have my locals community for this specific reason. I think you do too. We understand that we need to be building these smaller communities to insulate ourselves from everything that's going to go on. I understand it with the pre-state project where like congregating people in a certain place. So you, you have a certain voting power that comes with that. I get all of that. I just think like, I don't know. What do you think is the critical mass that we need to attain in order to actually be effective when we're thinking about it at like a micro level? And I understand that's a nuanced question that will probably vary from situation to situation. Well, I think it depends on what you mean by critical mass, mm-hmm. um, like critical mass of what to do what. That's a good question. What do I mean by that? Well, I think, you know, we look at a place like Florida and Florida seems to be pretty square right now with everything that's going on. They've, they've achieved a critical mass. I think that, I don't know what's going to happen in Texas. Like, because Texas is attracting a lot of blue people who don't understand why their cities went completely south. So I think that that's going to be much more of a problem for them than they think. Texas like, is a like problem. Beto, Beto O'Rourke did not lose by that much to Ted Cruz. Yeah, no, that I mean, I, mean, I made that and point. And now he's going to run I for think, governor. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think Beto is going to unseat Greg Abbott. Um, I think he might, though. You want to know why? Because Greg sure. Abbott's not the only Republican running. Chad, yeah. I mean, Chad, Chad what's his name? Chad Frather is running. There's a Republican what? running against the incumbent Republican yes. governor in Texas. Yes. yes. And, and there are Republicans in Texas that support him. I need to look more into that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that seems really bizarre to me, but. Um, Cause they don't like Greg Abbott. They're pissed at Greg Abbott over something. I don't even remember what, but. Probably, probably the abortion law. I think some people didn't like that. Um, but here's what I'll say. We know that it actually doesn't take very many. So an organized minority can overcome a disorganized majority mm-hmm. in any situation, in any enterprise, company, institution, whatever. An unorganized majority will lose to an organized minority. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. Um, like there are these games. So I don't, I, I used to play a lot of video games. I don't really play them as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but a friend of mine was talking about this, this game that he plays sometimes called rocket league. And it's basically soccer, but you're driving around like cars on this huge field mm-hmm. and your car is like the soccer thing and you're moving around. And my buddy was telling me that like, there, there are games where these professional rocket league players who are really good, um, can beat like 30 regular people playing against them. And you would think like, how the fuck is that even possible? You have 30 people trying to get the ball against a professional and mm-hmm. the pro beats them like handily every time. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about this called David and Goliath and about how there is um, there's a lot of opportunity and force 
it's it's one thing if it's like 60 40 mm-hmm. like if i'm outnumbered by 10 percent, i have a, it's you actually have a much better chance of winning if you're outnumbered by like 40 percent than you do if you're only outnumbered by a minor percentage mm-hmm. um so critical mass i don't think about so much as numbers as i think about capabilities and organization um and so like again we, we've seen this in a lot of places right like uh, uh, it turns out in some places it's just a handful of people creating batshit crazy curriculum you know and it's mm-hmm. like oh it's just these four people okay they're out um so i think all it really requires is a handful of very well organized and very well motivated and capable capable competency is a huge part of this in any given area and as soon as you have like a community that's like that um, if it's done well, then it will attract more people. Like we have, we need to rewind from Texas now mm-hmm. to Texas a decade ago or two decades ago, right? Like, um, Thomas Sowell wrote about Texas in, uh, well, in multiple books, but in books where he's described what happens when, um, cities and States pass legislation that makes it difficult to build new houses and stuff. And if you compare housing prices like in Dallas, Texas, and San Francisco, at one point in time, they're about the same. Mm-hmm. And then San Francisco passes all these laws to make it extremely difficult to build houses. Right. And then the, you compare the housing prices again, and the cost of living and everything has skyrocketed in San Francisco. Texas remains relatively constant and is, and is normal, right? So- my point is, is that we think we're thinking about the now and we also we have to be thinking about the, the future. And so it's like Texas became this place that people are talking about now because of good legislation and good policies they did decades ago mm-hmm. and that they maintained. And these shit blue places are shit and are getting more shittier because of shit policies they passed and have continued to pass for decades. Right. 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 Like and so like I think that we just have to take that same thing that we know. And again, I know I'm impatient also. Right. Um, and just say what has been working, let's recreate it where we are as best as we can. Even if it's just, you know, I grab, you know, what does Batman say to, to Gordon? in I think it's the first movie where he's like, you know, Gordon's like Falcone has the whole city. I'm just one man or you're just one man. And Batman says, now we're two. And so it's, it's having that same mindset of, capabilities it's capability and organization um in these areas most people aren't like they just kind of go with whatever and so becoming that organized minority we're in the situation because really well organized minorities were able to capture everything yeah that's um, a fair point we've got to get better organized though we do sure this is something but, i've been thinking about a lot and it's like i don't know what do you mean by that we need to get better at where do you feel disorganized I think the whole thing, I, I think when we live in a reality where where all the different anti-CRT groups are using completely different definitions of critical race theory and don't even understand what the words mean, that requires organization. That requires someone to come in and say, let's use this, like it can even be, and God knows like this is not something I necessarily want responsibility for, but if no one else is going to effing do it, then I'll probably end up fucking doing it. Like, like, like even just create like a document that you can disseminate through all the anti-CRT groups that are coordinating together to say, here's what all this stuff means. Like I'm thinking, I'm, which one? 
Peter Bogosian is that it pinned on his, uh, he might've changed it, but there's a, I can send it to you. No, there's no, no, like but, a, there's a but, uh, but critical got, theory cheat sheet. But that got disseminated and it didn't do the trick. It didn't work. It didn't work in the current form that it's in because I saw that in all the critical race theory groups. A lot of them have it pinned and it's still not working. Why? Because people aren't looking at it. Maybe, maybe it needs to be in a different format. Maybe there need to be flashcards. Maybe there needs to be people who organize team leaders to go in and reinforce these ideas so that people actually learn them and retain them. I don't Can necessarily think that creating the document is enough. Then you need to organize around the document and you need to have people that are that are constantly reinforcing the ideas. This is just like an organization. Like Peter Bogosian is like the CEO. He puts out a memo. Okay, just because the CEO puts out a memo doesn't mean everyone reads it, doesn't mean everyone understands it, doesn't mean everyone knows how to implement it. You have to get that down to the vice presidents and the vice presidents have to explain it. And then the, and then the directors have to take it and they have to make sure they understand and they have to explain it to the managers. It's exactly the same thing. So here, this is what I was, this is what I'm talking about though. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we have to get to a place where we, where we care as little as possible about that phenomena. And, and here, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. I'm going to, I'm going to back this up. I'm going to back this up. Remember what I said about, deprogramming from the top-down thing right so we cannot i there is a pretty good case to be made that, that for a large chunk of those people there is no form that's going to matter for them I to use it disagree here's so here's what i mean if you're the type of person that we see organizations do this at a at a, at a multinational scale every single day if they can Fair do it enough, on a multinational there, scale, then why can't we coordinate a couple Facebook groups? Because it's a that's a that's not a good one for one because they're not the same. They don't have they don't answer they to the same, the same people. They don't have the same incentives. They don't see them. They don't have they don't get the paycheck for the same none, person. None of that matters. Well, here, how about this? Ultimately, do we even think that? Here, here's what I mean. I'll just fast forward to the punchline in my head. Right, okay. the punchline in my head is. I want people pushing back at school boards and stuff. I ultimately want those people to realize that it doesn't matter mm -hmm. and start forming homeschool co-ops. Yes. So, so the process of what it looks like for them to push back in the, at the school boards where it's ultimately not going to work and it might work in some places. You're setting the it's wrong like, goal. What, what do you think is the proper goal? The, the goal that? of them pushing back in this the, domain, in this the domain, the goal of them pushing domain. back at the school board is not for them to get any win with the school board because they're not going to get any win with the school board. The only totally. two states in which the school board even have any relevance in terms of curriculum are Vermont and Connecticut. There's going to be no wins going through the school board. That's not the point. Exactly. The goal sure. is to get people to empower themselves to stand up and express themselves because once they learn how to do that in one avenue, they can take it into another avenue. A school board just happens to be totally an, agree. An, an easy yeah. way for people to do that because like there's like you can go and do community comment it's very easy it's like not a big deal if they can learn to express themselves and push back in that forum then they can take that skill set into the other forum that's what i consider success and you see them having a board. like a little card in their pocket as being like kind of the key to unlocking that for some people yeah maybe not yeah. a card in their pocket but but i at least well, think that we need to that we need to equipping start with some base level yeah, sure. some some basic level knowledge so that we're using words that mean the same thing and that we're all speaking consistently and clearly. I mean, this is not an out of this world concept. FAIR totally. is trying to do this. They're failing. And I'm going to tell you more about that once we get off the call because I've got I've got dirt sure. on that. But anyway, like 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 FAIR is trying to do it. 
Um, like there are other organizations that are trying to do this, like, but no one's been successful at it so far. And I, I think it's honestly because people think that it's just a matter of going to Peter Bogosian's like pin tweet and that's like all we need. I think that pin tweet is great. I think it's useful in different circumstances, but if we only post it in the group once and we never, it's kind of like when I do like training in organizations, like I can go in and do the best workshop on how to be a great manager in the history of workshops, right? If that's not followed up on after the workshop to say, are you doing the things you learned in this workshop? Here are some more resources for what you learned in this workshop. How is this working out? What do we need to adjust? What do we need to change? If they aren't following up on it, it is going to go absolutely nowhere. It's the same reason yep. that I'm honestly not all that worried in most cases when like anti-racist training is done in organizations. I don't think it's good. I think it's incredibly destructive, but in most organizations when this stuff is happening, it's not followed up on. So it's like they yep. do the workshop, they have to confess their inherent racism and that really sucks and <clears> I'm not in favor of it, but then nothing else happens after that. And so it basically dies away because it's not being consistently reinforced. I think there needs to be a system where not only do we provide something that's exceptionally easy to read and easy to use, and I don't think an infographic, which is essentially what Peter Bogosian built, I don't think an infographic is the most easy to use thing. How can we, how can we bare bones it speak in the language that normal people are speaking in and make it really simple to understand, give it to them, but then do things that reinforce it. Maybe it's you play games with them. Maybe it's that you do flashcards. I don't know what the fuck it is, but there has to be something that comes after it that reinforces sure. the point so that people get it. So I'm going to say two things that might sound contradictory. Okay. The first thing is, is that I think that that's a good idea and I understand better about what you're saying. The second thing is I'm not, well, actually, I don't know if I, if I believe that. No, uh, the second thing, the first thing I still, yeah, no, I, I think that's a good idea. And I understand what you're saying. The only question I have is, well, I think that more than that would help more than zero people. So fair enough. So I think that's a good idea. Yeah, that would, there are definitely more than zero who would be like, that's the light bulb or that's the thing, or that's what helps. The only thought that I had in my mind is the type of person is, is that I'm, I'm going like, I'm further like kind of going backwards in the self sorting of the people doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so you get like that, that mom in Texas who just like reads the stuff from like a book. And it's just like, I just, the people at these meetings who are speaking up and I'm about to, lay out a fallacy in what I'm going to say now, okay, but the people in these meetings who are speaking up, very few of them are equipped with the technical know-how and some they of them are, yeah, and they don't have to be. That's right. Um, they're just, they, uh, they, their bullshit detector works well enough to know that something is rotten here and they're speaking up. Um, now the fallacy there is to say, well, then therefore, no one needs the technical expertise or there's no one who might be benefited. So that's not what I'm saying. I actually, my, ultimately, I know you're not, I'm talking about me, my fallacy, yeah. what I would make if I said that then therefore no one needs it. Okay. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm a little more cynical about general people in that my thought is, is that if you can't use this, then you're probably not going to use this. Like I've seen this with kids, you know, with the have like different behavior stuff where it's like you, ultimately at some point where it's like you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. 
But at the same time, have we offered every avenue to that water possible? And I think what you're describing is another avenue to that water that will help more than zero people. And dude, I'm agreeing with you. All of this is me saying I I agree with you. I I, I know, but like, I guess the the pushback I would have, and I agree with like the, 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 you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I just think what we're doing is we're leading the horse to the general vicinity of the lake and then expecting the horse to suss out that there's water in the lake, that the horse wants the water, that the water is good for the horse, and then to make the way to the lake by themselves. And sure. I think that if- And if, to remember the path and know how to bring other horses and all sort of stuff. It, yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's just too much. And it's, and it's yep. especially too much when we're talking about, you know, people who are working, who have jobs, who have other stresses in their lives. They don't want to think about critical race theory all the time. But I also think it's like, if the goal, if, if we're going back to your goal, which is to create evangelists and where like our job is to like give them information and then say, go forth and conquer. Well, how do we create evangelists if they don't understand what they're talking about? Sure. No, I agree. And, and I think that my, my mindset is, is I think that there's enough stuff out there that anyone who wants to know can find it and know at this point. Like, dude, they're releasing a, a well, YA version of cynical theories that's supposed to be like a super easy read. You know, like you've made like a bajillion videos on this. There is so many like resources out there that I think my ultimately my point is. And so my point is that if anyone really wants to know, find out this stuff, they can. At the same time, it doesn't hurt anything to to like add more resources that might be the, the secret, you know, sauce for some certain people. So f- actually, fair enough. I, you've convinced me that like, that's probably a worthy endeavor. So. I mean, I actually want to make the argument though, like, and, and I'm accepting that you think that I'm right and, you know, glorious, but like, <laughs> but, like <laughs> but like, I actually want to make the argument though, that I don't think it's actually necessarily a good thing that there are so many resources out there because I think it makes it very confusing for people to know what to look at. I'm thrilled that they're coming out with a later version of cynical theories, because to be quite frank, cynical theories is a really heavy dense book. It's incredibly difficult read. And, yeah. and it's a very difficult read for even people who know about this stuff. And so it's like a near impossible read for people who don't understand it. And it's like, so I, I, I think that that's great, but I also think it's very confusing the amount of resources that are out there. And I'll tell you what, I mean, there are a lot of people putting resources out there that frankly suck, that are not sure. good, that are not correct. I can, I'll, I'll even go back to these anti-white people. They're putting out their own set of resources. They're putting out their own set of videos. They're going around doing interviews on major talk shows saying complete nonsense that is not based in reality at all, but it sounds really good and it's what they want to hear. And so it's like, I think we've kind of reached the point that critical race theory got so big so quickly that it's it's very confusing for people to know even what the resources are. And that's why I think it makes sense to um, try to coordinate as much as possible through these anti-CRT groups on Facebook, because that's where a lot of people are going. And it's where like a lot of them are just ending up because like, what do you do when you're a working mom that you just want more information about something that's going, you go on Facebook and you try to find a group for it. I think you do (laughs) what you just said there had like, yeah, you just in about 20 seconds persuaded me of, of something. And now actually I might be dispersuading myself, but <laughs> the dispersuasion is that I think Facebook is ultimately a failure and that we need to get as many people off it as possible. Yes. But in the me- in the meantime, to what you just said is, so I don't, in- I don't engage with Facebook, but a lot of people do. A lot, lot of people do. do. Well, and a lot of people get their news. A lot of people get their news from Facebook. A lot of people, 
like, especially like people our age, you know, who kind of came about it later, you know, it's like where, where people keep up with people who might've moved away that they went to high school with and stuff. Um, and so like, yeah. And what you're describing is something that I don't think there's anyone else doing that. And so I like, yeah, no bully for you. Yeah. I, I make the mistake of, you know, we, we all have these blinders on. Right. And I'm like, because I'm like, fuck Facebook. It's just a non-factor for me and how I think about things. But for a lot of people, like what you said, like, that's exactly right. Exactly right. You're a, you're a mom, you know, you're in your mid thirties or whatever. And you, you know, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on these things, swap it, showing pictures of your kids or whatever, which I don't think is a good idea, but people can do whatever they want. Um, but it's like to, ha- to actually be reaching out to those people. Because, like, here's the other thing that I just realized. How many big creators actually engage in Facebook? None. Zero. None. But that's yeah. where all the people are. I mean, it's like, it's like, yeah. like I, I think that, and I also think a lot of the big creators, frankly, they don't spend a lot of time with people who don't know who they are. And I think this is to their detriment. I think, I think like sure. I look at someone like James Lindsay and like, God knows I could talk about all the reasons that I love and adore that man all day long. I don't think he spends enough time with people who doesn't, who don't know who he is. And what do you mean? So, so, okay. So for example, for me, like, like all throughout 2020, I was traveling and go and doing events. And, you know, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago and it was like, literally Truman all throughout 2020, I did not walk into a room where people did not know who I was because the world sure. was pretty much shut down. And anytime I went out, I was doing an event, right? It starts to screw with you after a while. And you start to believe, you start to frankly, like believe your own bullshit. And you start sure. to believe that like everyone like understands exactly what you're saying at all times when it's- when And they're going to agree with you and respect you and stuff. Yeah, It just happens to be the people you're around. You look at someone like James Lindsay, what does James Lindsay do? He travels all the time, constantly to events where everyone is super excited to see James Lindsay. So that's great because he's, he's doing his thing and he is excellent at doing, like he is very, very good at what he does. What I don't think he understands though, is what is the point of view from just like normal people who aren't involved in any of this stuff, who have no idea who James Lindsay is, who have no idea what cynical theories is, has no idea who new discourses is. They just saw that their kid got some crazy homework assignment from that new teacher they have, and they're trying to figure out what's what. And I don't, I, I think that there is a huge, and I would say the same thing, frankly, of like Peter Bogosian or any of these big content creators. Like there is a huge disconnect between what average people see and what they think and what information they consume and what information these content creators think they consume purely because they never act they go like this they don't actually connect with just normal people that are just like living their lives and trying to do their thing and i started to realize this when i was going to these republican like town meetings in new hampshire like no one knew who i was there which was pretty effing great but it was like those people required a completely different type of information than people who watch my youtube channel all the time or that that, that, like watch you and it's just like there is a big disconnect between those things and i think that that's a gap that needs to be like considered well, the only thing I would say to that, and I mean, I support what you're doing with Facebook it, by reaching out to people that, that no big creators are reaching out to. To what you just said, I would say, I think there's probably, it's, it would be incorrect to assume that everyone who goes to those events knows who those people are, right? Because it's like, well, here's why. You're that parent and there's a local thing 
I've, I mean, I've heard, it's not just James, Dave Rubens talked about this stuff where it's like, there's that thing and you are attracted to an event because it's talking about that thing. And that's the first place you might be exposed to some of these people. So like, so here, so another example. So like that Vivek, uh, Vivek, uh, Chak, oh man, Ramaswamy. Yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy, right? Like Vivek was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Have you read it? I read part of it. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's, it's awesome. No, read the whole thing. It gets better. Like the beginning Mm -hmm. third is not near as good as the second two thirds. Um, anyway, but so Vivek was at an event with James and a few other people. And there were some people there that were only there because they knew who Vivek was. There's some people that only knew who James was. There's some people that were only there because they were part of uh, Kevin of engineering politics was at this event. This is where I'm getting this from in Wisconsin. There are some people there that they were only there because of some like Republican group that they had like brought those people in and they didn't know who anyone was except for the guy who their guy who was there talking about some stuff with schools. I can't remember what it was. I don't remember that part. But so my point is, is that you do get into a problem or like a situation where the bigger you get, the more people are going to know who you are. And I do hear these people talking about like Dave talks about this of like traveling and talking to people on the plane or talking to people on the bus. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, James has talked about that. I've heard lots of people talk about that. Um, You've even talked about that. of just like talking to people whenever you travel. Right. And so there's that. Um, but I do think it would be incorrect to assume that every person who attends like those events knows who that person is. I, I agree. With I don't you, think so. Just, I think they might I, be there for the topic. Yeah, no, I agree with you, but that doesn't mean they're going to interact with the creator. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about people interacting with the topic of the session. I'm talking about the creators themselves, understanding the perspective of people who frankly aren't fanboys. Cause gotcha. who's going to go up and, and talk to James Lindsay in an event? Like James Lindsay fanboys, right? I don't say I don't say that maybe a bad thing. But no, no. I think you're also going to get people who go, "Hey, I never heard you before tonight, but you said some really interesting things." Yeah, but I think I think mostly. I again, I think it's going to be a, a smaller proportion of the overall people that go up and talk to him. And I don't say this is a bad thing. I'm not saying this is good sure. or bad, right or wrong. I think this is just a matter of perspective. And I think you know. I think when you when you are known by a lot of people and when you're consistently around groups who the majority of them know who you are and know your work, at least even a little bit, I just think it, it, it's going to shift the perception that you have of what's going on when you're not interacting with people who have no idea. And then like in the, in the result of you not interacting with those people as much, you have no idea what their needs are. You have no unless idea. you have safeguards, unless you have other ways. Sorry, finish yes. your statement. No, like I was gonna say, like you have no idea to provide how to provide them with the resources that they need because you you're working on a fundamentally more advanced perspective. Sure. So here's what I'll say, and there, and this I, I'll bring. I I promise I didn't plan to bring up a bunch of uh, like Christianese stuff, but it's it's happening. So <laughs> you see this with like well any organization. I mean why. Well, even just take it, put it in the corporate world. Why is that undercover boss show interesting, right? Like the boss does not is not super well acquainted with the day to day things going on at right. the company, and so he goes and does that. Um, in the in the Christian world, like the bigger a pastor gets, or the more like you rise in the ranks in an administrative role in like a ministry, the farther removed you are from just like the people on the ground, like the regular exactly. people that are out there doing it. But the people who are good at it find ways they understand i'm just not going to be interacting with those people as much that's just not my job um but my job is to be tapped into that and to be interacting as much as i can with the people who are interacting with them 
And that's where we're making good, being a good evangelist and having good disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, people need to touch. This is not about some cult shit or Christian stuff. I'm just saying an evangelist is someone who's trying to convince other people of the idea that they have. And a disciple is someone who agrees with them and is also doing that thing and is learning from them. That's it. Like, okay, mm-hmm. period. Right. Like, I think that if we have ideas, we feel very strongly that we want other people to believe our goal should be to evangelize them and to, and to make disciples. I like, I just think it's not, these aren't bad words. Anyway, a, a good, a person in that role, who's a good evangelist makes really good disciples and has really, and is safeguards themselves from becoming so far removed. And so they do know what's going on. They do make it a point to interact with those people um, on a regular basis. That they're doing that. That the main content uh, there's no they in my mind of, okay. of me saying that i'm just saying that that there are ways that saying. i just don't there don't are ways that, that people practice sure i i don't know i like i i have no reason to think i'll tell you this there are no mainstream content creators that i like who are raising red flags in my mind actually I, they're um i will tell you i did join brett and heather's patreon just so i could ask them a question and <laughs> i and i spent a month on there i submitted the question and never got answered i was like well guess i'm done um and so maybe that would be one example, but like, well, and, and I, by the way, again, I'm not necessarily saying this is a good or bad thing. I think everyone has their role to play. I just think that they're like, if, if, if we're not considering the needs of people who are like at the very intro level to this, I just think it's a missed opportunity. That's all. Totally. And, and my, my point is, is that you're clearly capitalizing on that opportunity by doing the, this, this Facebook thing. Like it is a missed opportunity because I think that a lot of people like, make the mistake of thinking that since we don't use Facebook because we realize what a fucking joke it is mm-hmm. that like, like Facebook doesn't have really utility for us. Yeah. It, it like it might, I mean, if I had a bigger platform, I would maybe use it more, you know, I don't know, but it's like, I just, I'm like, ah, you know, it's a headache. And so I don't know, I don't know what I would do, but I think a lot of the people like Ben Shapiro had daily wire has a Facebook. Yeah. Ben Shapiro doesn't touch that Facebook. Dave Rubin has said for years, he's like, I have a Facebook. People do it for me. It's mm-hmm. just another plot. It's, it's, a, it's another way to just get my stuff out there for people yeah. to see. Right. Like that's how I would use it and consider it. But what you're talking about is actually going in there and engaging, interacting with these people. Right. Um, and I think that's really smart. I think that's really smart. So fair enough. All right. Well, Truman, well, we've been going for a couple hours. Do we have anything else we need to talk about? <laughs> No, I had another thing. I, I didn't get to any of this, this stuff I was thinking about. Oh, no. But, but that's okay. I think it was a good chat, time. though. That was, like, awesome. One, we don't we aren't normally, like, pushing back on each other like that, but that I was know. good, and I feel like that was, again, you know, to anyone who says Carlin can't disagree with people or doesn't take a, it's like, wow. Anyway, not to you rehash that You mean people on insanity. Twitter are wrong? <gasps> I know, go figure. Um, and, and I will say this, I don't actually think we disagreed all that much. I think some of the times no. when we were pushing back on each other, we were more like going like this and we needed to like clarify the point that we were making. There was a little yeah. bit of disagreement, but I think a, more of it was just like, we were not like, we needed to fully, we needed to fully expand on the point. And I think we did. I mean, it was like asking questions and, and getting there. Like that's how, yeah, I had, that was a lot of fun to be honest. That was good stuff to talk and think about. So uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything to add other than uh, people do need to check out the the videos that you did um, and that you've been doing about this, the, the anti-white stuff, space. white positivity. Yeah, um, it's going to be a problem. Don't investigate it yourself. It's, it's just a cesspool, Use but be aware VPN of it. VPN if you do, VPN. <laughs> um, anyway, but, and then also should check out the article that um, 
that you and Kiernan did. So, cause both of those are excellent. So thank you, Truman. I appreciate that. Well, guys, I guess that's all we have for this particular episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with, with new thoughts and mussings and ponderings. Um, I'm Colin Marseko. <laughs> you can find me on YouTube and locals at kb.locals.com. Yeah. I same Truman return to reason, um, same stuff, YouTube locals return to reason. Do it, right do on. it, do it now. Yeah. All right, Truman. <laughs> well, till next time. Till next time. Thanks for watching everyone. Bye guys. Peace.